Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week and we discuss headlines, issues, topics, stuff that's impacting the industry we love, the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. It's a Business of Agriculture podcast where I promised you a long time ago I would not bore you. No grain charts, no weather predictions, just straight poop. And today I got some great straight poop. I got a hell of a guest. Delaney Howell, if you keep up on social media with what's going on in the world of agriculture, she's a hot young thing going on right now. And I'm not saying that about her looks. I'm talking about how she's hot in agriculture. The girl is a 24-year-old pursuing her master's degree. She's got a degree in agricultural communications. She is pursuing a master's degree. She has the Ag News Daily podcast. She's got the Global Ag Network starting up. That's a podcast collection, if you will. She also covers events. She goes to agricultural functions all over the farm belt. She's everywhere. She's got guests. She's got reporting. Anyway, Delaney Howell, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You also forgot I'm the host of Market to Market, which might be the highest exposure that people would recognize my name from. Market to Market, recorded every week in lovely yes. downtown Des Moines. Actually, the lovely suburb of Johnston. The lovely suburb of Johnston, <laughs> Iowa, yes. uh, is where they record that. If I'm not mistaken, isn't that where that, uh, that, that racetrack and casino is? I nope, that's in Altoona. That's Curry Altoona. Meadows. So in Johnston, we've got Pioneer Headquarters. Pioneer Headquarters, Johnston, yeah. Iowa. So. Yeah. Delaney Howell is an Iowa girl raised in Southeast Iowa, mm -hmm. and she, man, she covers, she covers ag, and so she's all over the place. A year ago, she had me on as a guest on her podcast, Ag News Daily, and I said, hey, we've got so much going on. It's an exciting time to be in agriculture. It's not a boring industry. It never really was, but sometimes are more boring than others. What a fun time to be in ag, and I said, Delaney, I need you on for your perspective. So Delaney, give me five seconds, 20 seconds, uh -huh. 30 seconds of coverage. What did I miss about you? Uh, I think you did a pretty good job. So the only thing I'd add maybe is I was a farm kid too. We Southeast Iowa, my parents still live there, still raise cattle. We do feeder cattle and row crop. And oh, a fun thing we could talk about is traveling. I think I've been to 20 or 21 countries maybe to date. 21 countries now wait a yeah. minute i just want to make sure because again dear listeners she's from rural iowa <laughs> arkansas is not a foreign country yes i'm aware thank you okay so just because you've been to mississippi which Correct. oftentimes reminds us of a foreign country it does sometimes that, right? no 21 yeah. foreign countries Give me i think the 20 or 21 i don't know yeah. i can't ever keep track of them all i've worked i've been paid to go to every foreign country i've been to i think because i don't yeah. really like to travel unless i'm being paid i believe i've been <laughs> paid to be in seven foreign countries and i think that's what it says on my bio tell me the countries that you went to you found to be most interesting and then the ones that you found to be most overrated uh interesting i would say bulgaria Istan or uh, turkey colombia was pretty neat Costa Rica. When you're in Colombia, yeah. Did you no. snow a little? I, Just no, to kind of, you know. I was there on work for Colombia trip. I was there with the United Soybean Export Council. So well, what they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans. When you're in Colombia, do you snort yeah, coke? No, I don't know. I didn't do that. Didn't seem like a good idea. All right. So <clears throat> Delaney Howell and I are going to talk about things that we see going on in the industry that we all work in, the industry of agriculture. 
she's out there beating the street every day. Obviously, I told you she's a busy young woman out here covering news events, uh, shaking out, you know, stories, finding people to interview for her own uh, journalism and job and, and podcast. So Ag is in the news quite a mm -hmm. bit. You just attended an event in Council Bluffs, Iowa, where President Trump uh, made a big showing that he was there to support agriculture and boosting E15 blend rates of ethanol in gasoline in the United States of America. Tell me what you saw. I was actually a little disappointed because there was all this hype around he was going to announce E15 year round, which he did before he uh, made his trip to uh, Council Bluff Sete. But really, when he was there, I think there was I mean, I have my notes sitting right here, actually. There was maybe 10 times when he referenced ag in his hour and a half long speech, and they were just short little bites. You know, I think he understood that he had a farm audience. There was, I don't know if it was planned this way on purpose, but there was a group of farmers with um, Make Farming Great Again hats sitting right behind him um, where he was speaking at the podium. So I think maybe that was planted, but I think he understood he had an ag audience, but really he focused a lot more on um, re-elections, getting Republicans the majority votes at, in this midterm re-election. So a little disappointing there, but he did acknowledge farmers. He acknowledged the struggle that farmers have been making. He um, made the promise to E15, which sounds like maybe isn't something he can promise from what I've talked to folks about. Yeah, well, here, here's the thing. It's really complicated, and I've done a little bit of research, just a little bit of research, and I can also give you some, some thoughts on that. So if you're out here listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast and you're saying to yourself, all right, you know, Damien, I'm out here in, in, in California. We don't even grow corn, or I'm down here in uh, cotton country in, in Lubbock, Texas. We don't even uh, we don't care about ethanol. You do care about ethanol because of this. The United States of America is still the biggest single country corn producer. Now we used to grow two thirds of the world's corn. We're growing closer to one third of the world's corn right now. Uh, the rest of the world caught up. They learned how to grow corn in Uzbekistan. They learned how mm -hmm. to produce corn in South America. So we still need a viable corn production in this country because it's obviously what we do really well in places like Iowa or Delaney is, Indiana where I'm from. <clears throat> There's another part of this. It was fashioned about 10 or 15 years ago when the ethanol boom took off and meaning around places where we live, they started building these ethanol plants. The idea was we're going to increase the blend and we're going to be self-sufficient. And this was obviously, it was what, early 2000s, the whole war with Iraq, the whole issues in the Middle East. Yeah. So there's a push for ethanol uh, and for consumption. And you might remember, dear listeners, it was just about nine, seven, eight, six years ago that there were protesters saying, no food for fuel, food prices are going up. Food prices really weren't going up. They were going up just a marginal amount. The commodity prices were flying through the roof. It was a big time, boom time here in, in the farm belt. And it really was somewhat to do with ethanol, but not really. It was also due to worldwide demand, the growing middle class. We had all sorts of new consumption. Ethanol was a part of that through the renewable fuel standard. The renewable fuel standard is actually enforced by the EPA, and this is what Delaney's getting ready to mm -hmm. tell you about. A president can say they're gonna increase the blend and use more ethanol in our gasoline, but can they really? What's your finding? Well, so Scott Irwin um, does a lot of research. He's on Twitter, active on Twitter. He talks a lot about this, and the other day he was tweeting at some people talking about his thoughts about ethanol blending, et cetera. First of all, the president doesn't really have jurisdiction. Congress and the EPA have to come together and make 
I guess, legality changes. They have to vote or implement whatever the, I don't know the legal process is, but President Trump can't do it. He can say he can do it. He can put pressure on the administration to do it, but he can't do it. Then when you look at from the actual increase in corn usage, Scott Irwin's argument is it's not going to increase our corn consumption that much. We have a lot of corn. It will take up a little bit of it, but I was reading an article just yesterday on Reuters. I think currently we have like 1,200 gas stations in the entire U.S. that have E15 on the pump. This new E15 year-round thing would only add about another 1,500 gas stations. So we're looking at maybe 2,500 to 3,000 gas stations in the entire U.S. And I think there's like 220,000 gas stations. So what's yeah, that so we're like? Gonna pick up, we're going to pick up 1% of gas yeah. stations. And we're also to go from the E10, because most gas mm -hmm. can have up to 10% ethanol. Yeah. In, and it most times does, is my understanding. We're going to grab another 5% of some gallons. Right. Of gas, and then how much corn does that actually move off the market? Yeah. And the it's answer is a lot, apparently. No. I don't know the actual number off the top of my head. Um, but Scott Irwin on Twitter, if you guys are on Twitter, he'd probably be able to answer that question for you pretty specifically. It's not, it's not so much that we need to actually go and use our political capital to make that happen. In my opinion, I think it's right. not a bad thing. It's yeah. okay that it happens, but I, I think, think, I think maybe it was a political move by president Trump to get more support this midterm, maybe support for him in the future. Because it kind of feels like after all this trade stuff, it felt like agriculture needed a win. And I think maybe that was a piece of why he did it too. That's exactly right, Delaney. Uh, you know, every politician uh, pulls the whole thing of, we love our farmers, we love our farmers, we love our farmers and ranchers, we love our farmers and ranchers. And then how do you do that? So, mm -hmm. you know, this goes back to uh, me being a former political comedian. I've been watching the headlines for a long, long time. And so, yeah, that's, that's what this was. It shows a little bit of love, which I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump a little bit to some of what's going on politically. Then and that's the USDA because I sent a little outline of what we're going to cover with Ms. Delaney, and I think we should probably go from Trump E15 to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which is also obviously a political calculation. And the finding the I get as a farm owner all this information, and I got a piece of paper, it was about the market facilitation program, and then they had a meeting here in my home county, so I attended the meeting, and they explained the market facilitation program, where for every bushel of corn you produce, the United States Department of Agriculture will give you one cent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Again, uh, yeah. big, big whoop. One uh, cent on 50% of your harvested acres. Sure, one, one cent on 50%, yeah. so you're talking about so, such a small amount of money. I mean, you know, we can go out here and, and sit in my in my beef office and, and drink a case of beer and probably burn through that. So it's probably not a big deal um, <clears throat> on that. But I would say this was uh, the language of the market facilitation program that I got clearly was trying to push a political agenda because three times within the Sunny Purdue announcement, they kept calling it to make up for unfair trade uh, tactics by China, unfair trade. And the reality is we don't have $3.50 corn because of trade unfairness. We don't have $8.67 beans because of trade unfairness. We have $8.67 beans because there are too many beans. And I point this out as an agricultural economist to all of my people that think this is all about China. If you got rid of the tariffs tomorrow, we would not see $10.50 soybeans again. The reason that prices where they are is because of the supply. I would agree to that to some extent, but I think 
psychologically, we would definitely see a big move if tomorrow they said no more tariffs to China. And I think the other component of that is, yes, we do have a lot of beans. I think we're looking at a billion bushel carryover for soybeans, if not more. Some analysts are calculating a lot more um, and some are a little bit under that, but we're also not sending them to China. I mean, we've seen the EU pick up some of that slack um, and some of the other countries, Pakistan, Iraq, countries we wouldn't usually trade with at this point. Um, but I think the argument is we need to send them to China. But there's a lot of factors besides that. that are Again, there's, that's the argument, Delaney, but arguing that we need to send stuff to China isn't going to move the market by $2. And you even said it yourself, psychologically, yes. And that's the yeah. problem. There is a psychological component to all marketplaces. And the psychological component here is, oh, my God, I'm not. When I heard, and I just had it two weeks ago on my podcast with my friend Dennis Haugen, I said, when I hear these people that don't understand supply and demand curves stating that farmers are losing their farms because of tariffs, that's just not true. Mm -hmm. Tariffs are not good for long-term trade relationships. They're not good for long-term growth in markets. However, they are a protective tool put in for a reason, and they also are not the reason for the low-priced soybeans. Supply is the reason for low-priced soybeans. Anyway, I will start going <laughs> back to AgiCon 203. I know. I was just thinking, what is it? Ingalls Curve of Demand? I think that's... <clears throat> Econ I don't know. 101. I will say I, I got an A in every economics class I ever took. It's one of my favorite subjects, but uh, I've also forgotten some of the things. So feel free, dear listeners, if if indeed you think that maybe I need corrected on something. Talking to Delaney Howell, smart young woman in agriculture, and she just said something funny to me. I'm slated in November to be in Norfolk, Nebraska for a women in ag conference. It's at Northeast Community College. It's a great place. I've worked there before. And of course, you know what Delaney said, being the politically correct 24-year-old millennial that she is. You're a millennial. So she says, why is an ag conference with women having you on stage? You're not a woman. Which sounds kind of discriminatory to me. Would you against say? Against you or against, against me? Discriminatory oh. against me. I'm out here trying to make a living. And of course, you're <laughs> using gender politics against me, Delaney. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. You guys, there's a couple of guys that I know that do a lot of women in ag events, and I just was giving you crap about it. I can't say I do a lot of them, but I probably pick up one a year. I did yeah. one, this one I ever did for, I think it was Greenstone Farm Credit or Badgerland Farm Credit. Mm -hmm. They had me in Green Bay, Wisconsin on Valentine's Day morning. Oh, that'd be chilly. Be a cold uh, was, of day. Of course it was chilly. Of course it was chilly. 360 women. Oh, and you on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day and me on stage. What's that? Did you get him flowers? I, I made him laugh for 60 minutes <laughs> and gave him some positive thoughts about the business and agriculture. So that was the love that I showed. That was, the company cool. brought them in and said, these are our customers or maybe wives of, of customers, depending on how involved they are in the operation. And we want to show that we love them. So yeah, there was me and two other guys in the room and they worked for the farm credit system. So anyway, we already talked about soybeans, and now let's go to this. Since you are in Iowa, mm -hmm. which I believe is the number one soybean producing state, it's the number one a lot of things state. Yep, it and is. And also the number one pork producing state. It is. Give me some perspective. What's happening in Iowa that I'm not seeing here, that my listeners in, in uh, Arizona are not seeing, that my listeners in Montana don't understand? What's happening? Soybeans, pork, give it to me. Soybeans, pork. Let's see. I think a lot of growers right now, from a row crop perspective are thinking, what am I going to plant for 2019? Corn is looking a lot more attractive price-wise. So 
I think we're going to see some acres that would usually be soybean acres switch to corn acres. But when you can consider a flash or a cash flow perspective, I think soybeans make more sense. If you can get your input costs down, soybeans are probably the one you're going to make more money on. Um, but like I said, I think we see a lot more corn acres next year. Pork-wise, we're seeing a lot of pork expansion across the industry. I think the fourth quarter here is supposed to be pretty big as far as slaughter capacity um, and processing goes. Beef and pork both. This fourth quarter, we're seeing like a wall of protein hit the markets. By the way, if you're a Canadian listening to this, you just heard Delaney say processing. That's the word that you guys call processing. Yes. Or it's harvesting, I guess, is like the politically correct way to say it, right? We can't what? say kill them. So, well, we can still say it on this podcast. We talk about <laughs> killing pigs. We, we run them in, we yep. kill them, and then we cut them into pieces, and then we eat them. It's all good. So, Bacon. on pork, uh, lots of talk about the African swine feed. Yes. Uh, it has, has moved the markets just a little. Is it going to move the markets more? I say yes. I say yes, too, because just either yesterday or Monday, we had reports from a Chinese media outlet that it's hit the first major pork farm in China. So far, it's been all smaller scale, like rural type of operations. I kind of imagine, you know, like a really boondocks Arkansas farm in China, but now it's hit a big 20,000 pork farm. So that's kind of the first major commercial operation it's hit. And I think that that is going to continue. You realize that now you just said boondocks, Arkansas, and I made the yeah. crack early in the podcast that Arkansas was not a foreign country. Here's the thing. <laughs> I actually have worked in Arkansas a number of times. I have good fans down there, and I've got one guy that loves to fight with me on Twitter who calls himself the Arkmo Farm King, I think is his name. <laughs> he's probably, as soon as he listens to this, going to type on Twitter that I'm an SOB. How dare I pick on Arkansas? Actually, I, I have good fans down there. Well, to be quite fair, I went to school in Missouri, so people also pick on Missouri quite a lot, so I think I'm kind of used to it. you got, you got to have thick skin. <clears throat> and, and I'm from Indiana, which means uh. I either picked on or – around the country when I'm doing ag events, they always come and say, so what part of Illinois are you from? Oh, they, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. When they think of I states and they think of agriculture, mm -hmm. it's always Illinois or Iowa. They kind of forget. Or we kind of get like people from Iowa sometimes are like, oh, what part of Ohio are you from? I'm like, those are not the same. They're not even like touching states. No, but they both have four letters and yeah. uh, they have schools in the Big Ten. Maybe. Right. Yeah. So here's what I'm hearing is that, yeah, same thing that I saw. And China is probably, because they are obviously bastards, they manipulate their currency, <laughs> they, they throw up unnecessary trade restrictions. They manipulate and the media. We don't really know at this point in time is the reports be, they're saying There could be a half million. There could be a half million homes. We have no deal. And I think that just adds to the supply and demand effect of soybeans. If they continue to cull their hog herd, they're not going to need soybeans. And they're also looking at trying to find alternative sources anyways for feed sources for their for their uh, hog producers. So. As I just commented yesterday, I know two things. I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I know two things. Dead men tell no lies and dead pigs don't eat soybeans. So That's if, true. I think I saw you. I think I saw that. If, if pigs are dying uh, uh -huh. through the African swine fever, then they're not going to eat soybeans, which is going to further throw the glut on and lower the prices of soybeans. But that's to be expected. That's going to happen anyway. On the pig thing, it's mm -hmm. positive for pork. You know, we had a hurricane that wiped out a boatload of 
uh, hogs in North Carolina. Yeah, put some facilities offline for a little while, some pork processing facilities. Even Yeah, even if it didn't kill the pigs, it kept the pigs from being killed in the traditional processing way. Yeah. So we've got a little bit of a disruption there. So you might see a pork rally, which I think we are, which is possibly, possibly, probably positive for the state of Iowa. It is, because usually this time of year, we're not the, the prices that we're seeing right now, we're not usually at these levels for this time of year, and now we are. So speaking of hurricanes, we had another one come through uh, in Florida, and the climate change bedwetters are going to say it's because somehow we don't have high enough taxes on carbon. I'm going to say it's because hurricanes happen in the panhandle of Florida and through the uh, Gulf Coast. That's what happens. Uh, stuff like cotton. But is it going to change anything for the business of agriculture, what happened in Florida? Probably not much. Probably going to definitely cost insurance companies a lot of money. Is it going to change anything for what happened in Georgia? A little bit. You, and uh, I heard you do a comment on cotton. We have probably a few cotton farmers listening right now. But I don't know enough about it to be knowledgeable. Does it change the markets? I was reading something yesterday. I think it changes, at this point, it changes the quality of cotton. I think... Gosh, I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but USDA released their quality conditions report. And I think we're sitting somewhere at like 55% of cotton is poor to very poor in Georgia. And that's the number two cotton producing state. Number two behind so, Texas, as most people Texas. do not know. Yes. So I don't know. I think it's too early to tell. I think they're still assessing a lot of the damage. We're actually having a conversation on today's Ag News Daily podcast about cotton conditions. We've got a lady down there in Georgia that works with a lot of um, pecan, peanut, and cotton producers. So I think I'd have a better insight after that, but I think it's still a little too early to tell. But I would say from a marketing perspective, we're seeing like 80-ish uh, dollars. So I'd probably take advantage of that because I don't know that it'll get much higher than that. And if you are a cotton producer or a cotton gen owner or a cotton person in general and you want to be on the Business of Agriculture show, please call me, text me, email me, Twitter me, message me, whatever you want to do, because I'm always looking for different groups to be on this. You know, a couple of years ago, I spoke to the almond people. I've reached Ooh, out to them. Almond. It's supposed to be almond growers. Yes. Yeah, well, only in California they call it almond. <laughs> you'll put the L in there. And then, of course... Uh, and, and then, of course, there's peanuts. So I'm all about all that stuff. Here's the thing. I want to go back to this USDA thing. I ran down to the United States Department of Agriculture office on Monday. I had to sign some paperwork uh, for a, a land improvement project that I did here through the EQIP program. And uh, they have posted all over the wall the market facilitation programs. We talk about the political aspect of agriculture. And if you're listening to the show, you know it's always been that way. Agriculture has always been politically dictated because the United States Department of Agriculture has one policy, and that is to continue to have cheap and abundant food for the masses. And I remember in Agricultural Economics 101, I said, cheap, but the taxpayers are subsidizing this. And then the instructor said, yes, but Damien, the people that are paying the taxes to keep cheap and abundant food on the shelves are not the people most likely to revolt in a violent uprising. And you say that doesn't really happen, but that still does happen in the world. So the USDA, like it or not, is going to always have uh, their finger on agriculture because that's what the government does. We still don't have a farm bill, but one thing we do have is this market facilitation program. Now, my question is, they pledged half of $12 billion or so up front. You could sign it for starting in September. The guys that are out here uh, harvesting my fields, 
can get their money starting sometime about now, but they said only half. The other half of the money comes after December 3rd if it's deemed necessary. Is it going to be deemed necessary? No. I think, think Secretary Purdue has already mentioned in multiple rounds of comments, if, if, if we do another round of payments, it's going to be a lot less, but it's unlikely that we're going to get any. So the pledge was for half. So meaning instead of one cent for every bushel of it's, corn, it's one yeah. cent for half your bushel of corn. Instead of $1.65 for every bushel of soybeans, it's going to be $1.65 for half of all your bushel of soybeans. Yep. Uh, $8 on a pig or $8 on 100 weight of milk or whatever it was uh, is going to be if. Yes. Okay. So you think it's not going to happen because that's going to all, that's only December 3rd or 4th when that whole yeah. decision is supposed to be made. Am I right? Yes, you're right. I don't think it's going to be as much as this first round at all if we have it. I agree. Because the administration now has NAFTA kind of sort of almost done. Um, they've recently, actually just yesterday, announced that the administration is notifying Congress that we're going to start formal negotiations with Japan, the EU, and... And Britain. The UK. Because Britain, Britain, Britain falls out of the EU through Brexit. And, of course, the Wall Street Journal this morning is already... Uh, Doom and gloom, because the Wall Street Journal, as much as I love it, is very pro, very pro international trade, international yeah. policies, international uh, globalization. And the people of Britain are not for that. That's why they voted for Brexit. So they're saying doom and gloom. But you know what I see happening? I see Britain cozying up like a mofo to the United States of America. And we're going to have now the 60 million people of Great Britain really, really wanting to be our trading partner. And you know what? They don't have good teeth, but they can still eat. <laughs> they don't have good teeth. I agree. <laughs> then we've got the European Union that's coming on board. And they are saying we will not be pushed around. We will not be bullied. We are not going to be like Canada and Mexico. So they're posturing, but you know, that's because they're led by a, a negotiator who is French. And obviously mm -hmm. French people are little bastards. Claude Junket, I think, is that the guy? Yes, I think the guy. And he wants to prove that he's not going to be bullied. It's the same old thing. We are proud. We are French. Well, you know what? Great. You want to come bail you out again? Don't sass us. So <laughs> I see that this all actually works out. Uh, I think that by December, we're going to have something in place with Europe and Great Britain and probably Japan at the pace right now. Depends a little bit on um, on timing, and then of course there's the whole midterm election. If that matters, I don't know that it does. Moving on, Ms. Delaney Howell's my guest. It's time for our commercial because we're at the two thirds part, or almost a little further than that in the podcast. And you're saying, Damien, who's the sponsor? Who's the ad you're going to do right now? Well, of course, I'm my own advertiser. So a reminder: if you've got a 2019 meeting that you are planning right now, and you say. I need somebody funny. I need somebody interesting. I need somebody to put, get on my stage that my attendees will love and will enjoy our meeting. Of course, go to see my stuff at DamianMason.com. That's right, DamianMason.com. You can find me on all forms of social media, and I earn a living speaking at agricultural events throughout North America. I'd love to come and work for you. There you go. There's my ad. Last week, I recorded a Facebook Live, Delaney, mm -hmm. talking about silliness on steroids, because what I'm talking about is Smirnoff Vodka. Smirnoff Vodka last week came out with a big ad campaign with Jenna Fisher, the girl from the office, and Ted Danson, the former bartender from Cheers, announcing that now Smirnoff 21 Vodka is no GMO products, no GMO grain to make this vodka. 
and they are touting it as the new trend toward better for you alcoholic beverages. Delaney, perspective, thoughts from a millennial. Is it going to move your generation? So dumb. It makes me so mad because these people, marketing agencies or whoever, have done such a better job promoting GMOs or non-GMOs, but it's like, hello, your crops are GMO regardless of if we taint with them or not. Like the crops we're growing are not the same crops that have been grown a hundred years ago. Like things naturally evolve and change genetically by themselves or just speeding up the process. I hate that. I hate it when people are like, is this gluten-free or non-GMO? Or like yesterday I was at the grocery store and I saw some lady like picking up organic stuff and it was like, oh, I bit my tongue so hard because I just want to like have a dialogue with them and be like, why are you picking this? You're paying a premium for this organic crap that's the same as the other crap on the shelf. Why are we buying organic? I don't get it. And I'm not anti-organic. I only point out some of the data. Uh, I'm not anti-organic because any way that you can earn a living in this industry, because I agree. Oh, it can be a hard life. Any way yeah. you can earn a living in this industry, I'm all for it. And it is an upsell and it is a premium product that has greater profit margins. Now, it doesn't have I'm not, yeah, I'm not bashing on producers that grow GMO or non-GMO or organic or non-organic because I think you have to go where the money makes sense. You're doing what makes the most money for your operation. I'm just saying from a consumer standpoint, I just don't get it. So here's the thing. Uh, I was sitting at a bar in a grocery store because in Phoenix, where I spend half of my year, <laughs> In Phoenix. That's where I want to go grocery store shopping. Well, come down there with me. And you know what? I'll take you. There's a, a Fry's, which is a part of Kroger, has a very high-end store not too far from my house. That's where I like to go because it's a huge store. I like to see what the funny money is buying because it's in the Paradise Valley region, which is a higher-end zip code. So there's a lot of mm -hmm. fun stuff that you don't get in Huntington, Indiana because we're more of a factory and farm town. So while I'm there, I'm always doing my research. And I was sitting at the bar because when I get done with my shopping and my research, then I go and sit at the bar. They usually have nine different beers on tap that you can sample, and they have 16 wines. So my wife gets wow. a Two ladies that are higher-end consumers are sitting to my left, and they said something about buying groceries. And the one said, well, as long as we're not getting those GMOs, such that they thought, lady... I'm not even going to bother with this. You're sitting at a bar having a wine in a grocery store and you're convinced that GMOs are going to kill you. One thing I would point out is whether you drink GMO grain vodka or non-GMO grain vodka, I think that's <laughs> it's vodka. You're still drinking vodka. And I tell all my, this is a great example that they have Hollywood celebrities to promote non-GMO vodka. As I tell all my audiences, the thing that bothers me about this the Hollywood crowd is anti-GMO. They, they wouldn't know a GMO from a UFO, but by God, they're anti-GMO. And you want to tell them, in Hollywood, GMOs are not your health risk. Heroin, heroin is your health risk. Overdosing on drugs, yeah, that's your problem. All right. I'm not even going to get to my last two topics because I think we don't want to bore our listeners. Plus, I've got a wonderful guest, Delaney Howell of Ag News Daily and Global Ag Network, which we may end up putting this podcast and lumping on the Global Ag Network. I will keep you posted, dear listeners. I always enjoy you coming and listening. I always enjoy the guests that I have where we talk about issues impacting the business of agriculture. I always close out with some bold predictions and final thoughts. Delaney Howell, 24-year-old, atypical millennial. She's an atypical millennial. Like, she doesn't nap as often as most millennials. <laughs> She's, um, she's not as touchy-feely as most millennials. She's more rugged because she's got the farm kid roots. 
Give me some bold predictions for agriculture. Hmm. Some bold predictions One for bold agriculture. Prediction. What happens in the next two months that most people don't see coming? What happens in the next six months that most people don't see coming? I don't know. That's a tough one. See, I'm putting you on the spot. Dang. A bold prediction for agriculture. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I me mean, this. I focus on commodity markets, so I'm hoping that there's some uh, nice, bold stuff that happens there. Give me this, my friend Delaney Howe. Uh, one thing you see, one recommendation you would make, one piece of advice, one lesson you have learned, something that anybody in the business of agriculture can learn from and benefit from, from your perspective. I think this is going to sound really cliche, but like I absolutely believe in educating yourself, whether it's educating yourself about the commodity markets or resources available to farmers. I think a lot of farmers get stuck in a rut of like, oh, this is what I've always done, so I'm going to continue to do it and they don't reach out for help or they're too shy or they just think like they're all in this box of this is what I'm going to do. This is it. Yeah. I don't want to get outside of that. So yeah. not, not just farmers, actually yeah. everyone in this industry, we tend yeah. to, one of the things that I do when I'm as a speaker on the circuit for the ag meetings, my wife said to me, she says, you know, I understand you, you don't mow the yard. I mow the yard. You know, my wife mows the yard. She says, but for your business, I'd rather you spend that two hours, reading because you become then the conduit of information that your audiences don't see mm -hmm. because a lot of times Delaney I feel like my role is to take something that they don't see that's not on their horizon and say hey this is something you need to know about and um, I had a guest on uh, not too long ago maybe three four months ago that his he's a big reader and it's the same thing he told my listeners read a business book not the plat book and I think you're right so that was a nice recommendation to give you got all winter. If you're in agriculture, it's a little slower at different times. Maybe you got a slow uh, March, whatever it is. Use that time to, mm -hmm. you know, because you can always, I don't know a great deal about commodity trading, but I try to learn a little bit about that each day because I don't actually trade any commodities. So I agree with you. Any other final thoughts? Delaney Howell. Um, listen to my podcast. If you like podcasting, obviously you're listening to Damon's. Um, Damien's. Damien, sorry, Damien's. So we have a good one too that focuses on kind of the business of agriculture and uh, more newsy or timely stuff. So the business of agriculture with my friend Delaney Howell. What else you got? Thanks for having me on. That's your last thoughts. There That's we go. Check us out every week. We'll do it here. Find me on social media. Look me up on DamianMason.com. If you do have a 2019 event that you're planning, you better get us uh, contacted because January and February are booking up. You know how it is for agriculture. I'm Damian Mason, your host. I appreciate you tuning in. We'll do it again next time. Until then, thanks, Delaney.